How is everybody today? <laughs> I got three people alive. That's good. I like it. Hopefully, by the end of the day, we'll have the rest of you awake. That's all good. <clears throat> How many of you have ever been part of a family? See, first service did the same thing to me. I, I, and I had to tell them, it's like a softball pitch. You ever play slow pitch softball? There's no reason to ever swing and miss in slow pitch softball because it's going like two miles an hour. Right? I, so I, I always like to throw you an easy one. So that's what I was trying to do. You got to break, break it loose a little bit, you know. So let's try it again. How many of you have been part of a family? Yeah. Oh, see there? I knew you were alive. How many of you in your family that you were part of were the favorite? Anyone in, anyone in here that was the favorite? Uh, see, this is beautiful right here. Because right here in the front row, I got two brothers fighting over who was the favorite. See, that's fantastic. <clears throat> How many of you were not the favorite? Anyone? I, I, I feel your pain. Um, my mom and dad had two kids, and I was the last one. You know what that means, right? They'll tell you. They loved having Denise, and as soon as I came along, they were like, whoa, no. No more. Let's quit right there. <laughs> that's all we can handle. <clears throat> What's it like to be the favorite or not be the favorite? That's kind of a struggle, isn't it? As we as we've start to look in James... Rex brought up last week that the, the author of this book is James, the brother of Jesus. And as he said last week, imagine trying to compete with him to be the favorite. Um, that, that's like a no-win situation, right? But James, throughout his book, I, I, feel like, I feel like James uses the family without specifically mentioning the family. And we're going to look at that today because... There are, there are some things in these verses we're going to look at that I think show that James wanted us to understand God as part of our family and us as part of his. We, we, we hear things, there's, a, there's an old song, the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I'm not going to sing and make you run out of here, so don't worry about that. But um, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And so we, we talk about being part of the family of God. What does it mean to be part of the family of God? There, there are... There are family things that happen in almost every family, right? There's always favoritism. Now, parents as parents will say, they're really, I really don't have favorite children. I love all of my children equally, just at different times, right? There are times when I really love one of my children, and there are times when I really would like to wring one of my children's necks, right? doesn't mean I love them any less. It, doesn't, it just means they're, they're, they're lucky I don't have that ability. So... But, it, but when we talk about family and we talk about those kind of things, uh, another thing that we'll see is we're going to talk a little bit about failures. Anyone know anything about failure in family? Anyone ever failed in their family? So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But then at the end, we're going we're gonna to come back around. We're going to go full circle, and we're going to come back around to some goodness uh, of God. How many of you feel like as part of God's family, you're not a favorite? You ever feel that way? You ever feel like dad likes the other kids better? No one's ever felt that way? I know, I know the Sunday school answer is no. Okay? I know, I know that what you're supposed to say in church is no, I never felt that way because I know God loves all of us the same. But 
That's why I asked if you've ever felt that way. And it's okay to feel that way. So to look around and see other people seemingly succeeding and doing well and being blessed and things going well in their life. And then looking at your life and seeing you struggle and have hard times and have difficulties and have loss and those kind of things. Anyone know what I'm talking about in that? We're going to preach next week on honesty, just in case you're wondering. But we all have we, at different times. But, but when we look around, there are people, there are people in this world that seem, according to worldly standards, to have more than others have. Do you agree with that? There does seem to be some people that their life seems to always succeed. They seem to always succeed in their life. And there are some people that seem to always struggle in their life. Do you agree with that? That's what James talks to us about, and that's what he starts out with, beginning in verse 9. In James chapter 1, and and Rex and I talk as we go through series. He lets me know where, a general idea of where he thinks he's going to end up, and it's we have fun together because sometimes I am a little long-winded and sometimes he's a little long-winded. And so it's always fun to kind of, you kind of study the whole thing because you're not sure what part you're going to be on. So this week we're going we're gonna to begin in chapter, in chapter 1, verse 9, and we'll see this. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Did you see James talking about favoritism in there? He says this. The brothers, if you read in some translations, they'll say brothers. Some will say believers. But the believers who are in a humble position, some translations will say poor. Um, Those people should feel honored by God because he's chosen to honor them. So they should be happy for that. kind of a struggle, right? Do you hear what James is saying? If you, if life stinks for you, basically, let let me give you the Brianisms for this. If life stinks for you, be happy. Because God's making your life stink so that he can honor you. Because then he goes on to say, If life is great for you, the rich should be glad that God is humbling them. Wait wait a minute. What? Shouldn't I be glad that I'm rich? And shouldn't I wish for richness if I'm poor? Shouldn't I want what they have as opposed to what I have? Anyone feel that way? You ever struggle with that? Yeah. Yeah. We do, and James says, hey, if you find yourself in that place where you're struggling, there's a reason. 
Rex talked about it last week because last week was mostly about being tested, right? Rex talked about what it means to be tested and how to make it through tests and why God sends tests to us. Those tests are a chance for us, as Rex said, to have our faith revealed. We, we have faith in us, and those tests are where our faith is revealed. Abraham was tested, right? What was Abraham's test? Starts with an I and rhymes with Zek. Isaac, good. Remember, Abraham was given a son, his blessed son, the special V favorite, right? Isaac, and then one day God comes to him and says, "Hey, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to kill him for me." That's a, that we call that a test, right? What James says is, over here, when you're going through these tough times, you should be happy about that because God is teaching you and is going to honor you and bring you to a place of glory. Are you with me? Do you understand that? This means yes, this means no. This means I'm asleep. If you start snoring or drooling, then we're gonna have to we're gonna have to have some help, right? But everybody understands that right. That's what that what James is saying is if you're struggling, enjoy the fact that you're struggling because God is gonna honor you as a result of your struggle. If you're blessed in your life and you're that person that everything seems to succeed, you have a lot of money, all that kind of stuff, if you're in that position then you should be happy that God is going to knock you down a few pegs. Right? Isn't that what he says? This person should be glad that God is humbling them. This person should be glad that God is honoring them. What is really going on here? What's really happening is God is showing himself to be the great equalizer. We all come to the foot of the cross We all come to the empty tomb. We all come to Jesus the same way. Broken. We all meet Jesus the same place. Those of us that have struggled are broken by our struggles. And God says, because of your struggle, I'm going to bless you and bring you to me. Those of us who have been blessed more than others here on earth. Why is that such an issue for us to be able to be humbled? Why would, why would James say that? I'd like you to wrestle with some of these things, right? Because it doesn't really make sense. Aside from the fact that if I am not humbled and I am rich and I everything I do succeeds... Who am I most likely to give credit to? Go ahead and say it. Who am I most likely to give credit to? Me, right? Frank Sinatra sang it. I did it my way, right? And we like to, how many of you like to accomplish something and get to the end of something and say, man, that feels good to have gotten done? Anyone? Right? Yeah. We just had we just graduated a class last Friday. Those kids go through those kids go through hell for seven months, I and mean, we're miserable to them because they're they're going to have a life of misery for the next twenty five years. So we help them get used to it. But to see them 
at the end, to see them at graduation as they, they march in and they're all proud and all that kind of stuff. And then they get to walk across the stage and they salute the chief and the chief hands them a badge or he hands their spouse or their mother or their brother or somebody the badge and they put it on and then they're, they're all by themselves all the way across the stage and then they come back in front of everybody and to just see that, to just see that pride that they have in actually accomplishing something. That's what God wants for you. If you struggle, if you work, and you have to go through hard times, God wants you to be able to say, God got me here. This is pretty cool. But he also wants you to understand that even if you do do that, it's because he helps you do it. Who gets the glory? God gets the glory, doesn't he? Who deserves the glory? God does, doesn't he? That's why James says, if you're in a humble position, you should enjoy that. If you're in a rich position, you should enjoy that too. Because God is going to bring them both together. And this is how he finishes that thought. In verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Who's going to receive the crown? One side or the other? Both. Right? If I'm in these humble circumstances and I recognize that my life is really in Jesus so it doesn't matter what I go through, I get the crown because I've endured through the testing. Right? If I've been blessed and I understand that the blessings have come from God and I give him credit... He's going to humble me because I'm not going to think I did it. And I'm going to come back to the same place and I'm going to receive the crown. But on either end, if I don't give God the credit or the glory, I don't get the crown. Make sense? How many of us want a crown? To get the crown, you have to come to Jesus. You see, I could have preached this sermon in two sentences. That's what James is saying, though, right? No matter where you are in your life, no matter matter what you're experiencing in your life, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've been given, whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether it's blessings, whether it's struggles, no matter where it is, you and everybody else come to the same Jesus at the same cross to to receive the same grace, to the same faith. And then you get a crown of life for those who endure it. (laughs) Man, that's pretty cool, isn't it? So, then James goes on. And we've talked a little bit about favoritism, but let's talk about failures. In verse 13, And remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. How many of you understand the difference in testing and temptation? I'm going to try and help you understand this difference, okay? If I am driving on, I drive on the turnpike to work every day, 
So if I'm on the turnpike and there's a semi in the left lane driving 69 miles an hour and I'm trying to get to work, that's annoying to me because the speed limit is 70. And even if I was going to drive, I was going to drive a little faster than the speed limit. I'm not going to admit that I may or may not, that can neither confirm nor deny what speed I drive on the way to work. But if he's driving 69 and I can't get around him, that's annoying to me. Okay? There's a temptation there. The temptation is, when he finally gets over to the right, the temptation is for me to drive up beside that truck, tell him he's number one with a specific finger, and then drive a little faster, pull in front of him, and then hit my brakes really fast. Not that any of you would ever consider that. I'm sure I'm the only one that that's ever crossed their mind. But if I were to do that and the semi were to hit me and I would have medical bills and I would have car repair bills and that would put me into financial struggle, that is not a testing. That's discipline for falling to temptation. Make sense? I can't say God is testing me. I could say, I'm an idiot, and God's helping me remember not to be an idiot. Right? If I, if I see someone that's not my spouse, and I build a relationship with them, and then I cheat on my spouse, and my spouse leaves me, and I go through a painful, struggling divorce, that struggle is not a test. That's, that's a discipline for falling to temptation. Now, for my wife, who did not cheat, she might be able to say that hers is a testing. Do you understand the difference? Hebrews tells us that God disciplines all those he loves. So when we mess up, God helps us find our way back. Right? But how many of us have seen people make very poor choices, put themselves in very difficult situations because of their poor poor choices, and then complain about God putting them through so many tests? Anyone? Those aren't tests. Those are God reminding you you made a mistake and helping you come back. It's still from the same God. But what happens is, what, what James wants you to understand is, God didn't tempt you. Don't blame, don't blame that on God. Don't, don't blame those struggles that you're now facing. That's not God's fault. God, God didn't bring that to you. you. You brought that to yourself. And what we like to do is, is find someone to be responsible for our mistakes, right? We talked about being the favorite child or not being the favorite child, Right? The the not favorite child, which was me, is the one that's always blamed by the other one. Right? That's not true because everybody blames everybody when you're a kid. That's part of growing up and being a sibling. Right? It's okay to laugh. We're in church and Jesus lets us laugh. Right? That's okay. But what James is saying is that those things that happen, those, those struggles and that in fighting, when we fall to temptation, when we fail at temptation, that has nothing to do with God. 
He says, don't say that God is tempting you because God can't tempt you and he can't be tempted. So what does James really want us to understand here? What is James's message to us? James wants us to understand that God wants us to be with him, right? God wants us to be with him, right? The, the, big, the, the big want of God is for us all to be together. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to do well. He wants us to be blessed, right? How many verses in Scripture talk about all the blessings that God has? There's a lot of them, right? So this temptation thing, when we say that's God's fault, we've really, really missed the mark. Because God wants us to have good things. God wants us to enjoy life. God, God wants us to be blessed, and, and God wants us to succeed. How many of you have uh, heard stories of, of parents, usually probably dads, but working with their kids on a sport or playing catch or something like that, and they'll, they'll make a deal with their kid. If you catch eight out of the next ten throws, we'll be done, or what, you know, whatever, you get to, you get to hit me, or whatever, what, throw, throw out some reward out there. And so the kid gets to seven, and you got three left, and dad throws the next three 50 feet from them so they can't catch it, they can't succeed. You ever heard those story, stories about pe- people like that? They're out there, I've heard them. But <clears throat> that's not God. And sometimes that's the way we feel like God is, right? How many of you have ever felt that way about God? That God doesn't want you to succeed? Feel like God wants you to fail? I know you're not supposed to say you feel that way. But sometimes we feel like God is that little 10-year-old boy that has a magnifying glass and the sun is really hot and there's a line of ants. Some of you know, some of you know what happens when you do that. <laughs> some of us feel like God is like that and he's waiting for us to mess up just so he can destroy us. Just so he can say, see, I told you. Or he's just being mean and he, he's, just, he's just playing with us and he's, he's, he's just making us hurt for no good reason. Anyone ever felt that way? That's not God. But it's the way that sometimes we feel. Sometimes we feel like God just doesn't care. Like God is checked out. Right? He, he's up there eating bonbons Drinking a Coke and watching TV. No, you don't care what's going on on here. Sometimes we feel like God just doesn't care. The truth is God really cares about us, and he really wants us to win and to succeed. That's why he says this, beginning in verse, uh, beginning in verse 16. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us. From God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. Every good gift. Everything. Think about your life. Think about your, your life right now. You have anything good in it? I've got a beautiful wife that loves that loves me. That I mean that's huge. <laughs> Those of you who don't have to live with me know that's they don't know, but that, that's huge. To be able to love me and put up with me, that's huge. That's a huge gift. To have, to have kids that love me. That's a huge gift to me. What, what kind of gifts do you have in your life? What, what kind of good things do you have? Because it's very easy for us to see what we don't have. Right? It's very easy for us to feel like we're, we're not blessed. 
It's very easy for me to look and see what kind of car somebody drives and say, well, my car's not as nice as that car. Or see a house that somebody's living in and say, well, that's not a, that, that house is nicer than mine. I'm not, I don't. And so it's easy for us to see what's not good about our life. But sometimes we need to take a spin and look at what is good in our life. Right? What, what kind of blessings do we have? Because all of them come from God. And then James goes on to say this. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give us birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Let that sit for a minute. Let that rattle around in your brain for a minute. What does that mean when James says, we, out of all creation, are his prized possession? I want you to think about that. Think about what something in your house or something that you own that is the most precious thing you have. The one thing that you wouldn't give up for anything. There's, there's no price anyone could ever pay you for that thing. It's so precious to you, you would never give it up. You would, you would fight to the death to hold on to it if somebody tried to take it. Do you have, do you have that in your head? You know what I'm talking, do you know what you're talking about? Have you picked something? James says, that's you. To Jesus. When God looks at everything that he's created, everything that he's made, everything that he's accomplished, everything that he's put together, all of the things that that are out there, all the animals, all the trees, all the flowers, when he looks at everything that he's created and he looks at us as human beings, we are that prized possession that God says there's no way I'm giving this up. That's why Jesus came, right? Because Satan had found a way to take us from God, to keep us from him. Temptation came to Adam and Eve way back, and they didn't do so good. (laughs) And temptation comes to me, and I sometimes don't do so good. So I have that separation from God. But God looks down on me and he says, he says, you see that guy right there? Yeah, I know, I know yep. Yes, he is a dork. Um, but he's my prized possession. Nobody gets him. Satan, you can't have him. You try all you want to. But you can't have him. Because I'm holding on to him. And not only does God hold on to us. He he blesses us. And sometimes we look at that first verse that says, Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And we look at that in one direction. We Like God looks down and we look up and we say, Okay, all these good things that I have are from God. But what James says also is God looks down on us 
and looks at all of the things that he has to give us and wants to give them to us. What does God possess? Uh, Everything. Right? What area is God's? Everywhere. Right? So when God looks at everything that he has, everywhere that he has it, and he looks at us, his prized possession, he says, I want to give this to you. I want you to enjoy this. Isn't that cool? I mean, isn't it cool that, that God feels that way about us? How many of you feel that way about yourself? See, sometimes we don't even feel like we deserve what we get, right? Because I know where I fail. I know where I let people down. James says, you're the prized possession. When God looks around at everything, all the good things that he could hold on to, and he could value, and he could take care of, We're number one. See, I, I don't know where you're at. I'm going to have the, the worship team come forward. I don't know where you're at in, in your life right now. I, I don't know what God has you going through. It might be a good time for you. Things might be going fantastic for you right now. You, you might be excited about graduation or excited about a new chapter in your life or, or you've got a wedding coming up or you, you've got a new job starting. I, I, things may be going really well for you and you may be really excited about that. But the opposite is true for some of you and some of you may be feeling just like we talked about earlier that, that God really has forgotten about you when he opened up the blessings box. He, he kind of looked at you and said, ah, let's just give them some trouble and that God doesn't really care. James tells us that God loves all of us and brings us together at this place. Whether we struggle or we're blessed. Whether we fail in temptation or we overcome. We're all God's children. And I want you to listen to the words to a song. We sang this last week and... I, I couldn't get it out of I, every time I would sit down to study and, and I I I kind of wrestled with God because I like this I love the song but I thought we just sang it God but I couldn't help it but I want you to listen and I want you to I want you to actually pay attention to the words to this song it, the name of the song is the goodness of God and I want you to hear and pay attention maybe even close your eyes and and, and let God speak to your heart. Listen to what he says. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. Because all my life, you've been faithful. In all my life, you've been so, so good. 
with every breath that I'm able. I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You've led me through the fire, and in darkest night you are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. All my life, you've been faithful. And all my life, you've been so, so good. To every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And listen to this. Because your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything because your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Because all my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I'm going to sing the goodness of God. God's been faithful to you. Whether you realize it or not. God's been good to you, whether you acknowledge it or not. The goodness of God, I love that picture. It doesn't matter how fast you run. God sends his goodness after you. Your, your goodness is running after. It's, it's running after me. It, it's trying to catch me. And, and I'm running. Sometimes we try and get away from the goodness of God because we're afraid what God will say. And so we're running. And we look behind us like, you can't catch me. And God says, yes, I can. And he sends his goodness. God wants, to, God wants to be good to us. He wants to bless us. He wants to give us all the good things. God looks at his storehouse of everything. In everything that's good. And he says, man, what can I give them today? And he, he, he goes through his closet and throws things out until he finds what he really wants to give you. And then he, then he comes and he says, oh, look what I got for you. <laughs> his goodness runs after you. You know, some of you need to know that this morning. Some of you feel like God hasn't been fair. And some of you feel like God has been mean. And some of you feel like God has forgotten you. But you need to know that God's goodness is running after you right now. He's chasing you down. Saying, I want you to know that I'm good. I know you're facing some tests. I know you're going through some trials. I know life doesn't seem fair right now. But I'm coming after you with goodness. someday hold on someday we're not going to walk across the stage and salute the chief and be given a badge someday we're going to walk through the gate and we're going to stand at the throne and we're going to fall on our knees in the very presence of God and say, thank you for your goodness. Let's pray. God, we don't deserve your goodness. 
We've not done anything that should make you want to be good to us. But you love us so much that you do anyway. And we thank you. God, those people that feel like you're not being good to them right now, I pray that I pray that you give them a glimpse of your glory in the midst of their struggle. And those people, Lord, that feel like they're doing well and they're accomplishing a lot, I pray that you remind them that it's because of your goodness. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name.